Hello, everybody. I'm Pam Pastor, host of the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast. I'm thrilled that you found me. More importantly, I'm thrilled that you found Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. And as we journey together, we'll unleash discoveries of how to turn a heart of stone into one a moldable clay for the potter to transform. I hope that you'll join me and others each week as we adventure and explore life together. And periodically, friends, we'll delve into my mailbag and answer questions from listeners just like you. So if you have a question, make sure and email it to me at pampastorcopywriting at gmail.com. And you know, I was looking through Proverbs and I came across Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, that says, When the ways of people please the Lord, he makes even their enemies live at peace with them. And one way that we do that is simply by obedience. So I'm going to welcome you back now to our series exploring godly obedience. And David shares in Psalm chapter 32, verses 8 and 9 where the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. And yesterday, we said many people feel like obedience is restrictive, giving them that sense that they're being controlled by a a bit or a bridle. But nonetheless, the reality is just the opposite. Living in an obedient life provides us with the necessary guardrails to live in freedom. And once again, obedience is the fulfillment of the apostles' counsel or of God's claims and commands. Faith opens the doorway to our obedience, and the faith housed within our hearts is only known to God who reads all hearts. Our obedience extends from our heart in the form of our conduct and is therefore observable. One way that I'm being obedient is recording this podcast in the name of Jesus for Jesus. You know, if anyone else hears it, that's fantastic. But if not, it's strictly for Jesus. And we looked at six areas where God expects our obedience so he can shower us with his blessings and promises. The areas are our heart, our will, our mind, our body, our finances, and our future. And King Solomon and his workers were proof When we're faithful and obedient, the hand of God blesses our work. And it says in Colossians chapter 3 verse 23, Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. But what happens when we make the choice to half-heartedly obey God? Our first sighting of this disobedience comes from Adam and Eve. God had instructed them to not eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Satan came along and tempted them and they ate. The result of this disobedience is still with us today. They were banished from the Garden of Eden. Pain and death was inflicted on all of mankind. Another half-hearted attempt at obedience occurred when Moses was told to command the rock over there to pour out its water. 
Moses obeyed when he spoke to the rock, but then he disobeyed by striking it with his staff. For this disobedience, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Another Old Testament example that we have occurred with Saul. Remember King Saul? God told him to completely destroy the evil Amalekites. Saul did defeat the Amalekites, so shouldn't God have been happy with him? No, Saul didn't completely follow God's instructions. He spared the king and kept some of the plunder, or the spoils, or the treasures. For this act of disobedience, God promised to end his reign. And what about Uzzah, who was told by God that only a priest could touch the holy furnishings and articles, and Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant? His result? He died instantaneously. And Uzziah was also told by God that only the priests can offer incense in the temple or tabernacle sanctuary. He entered into the holy place in the temple where only priests were allowed to go. So he instantly became a leper. God doesn't want lukewarm Christians. He wants men and women who are willing to take a stand and follow his perfect will. Throughout Jesus' entire ministry, we're shown Jesus deferring to the will of the Father. And several times he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. As a matter of fact, he even instructs us, Father, your will be done on earth as in heaven in the Lord's prayer. And through stimuli and conditioning, we teach our animals to obey us. They receive treats, rewards, or punishment. AI technology is programmed to our set standards to perform and do what we want. The same holds true for any programmable device like a computer, navigation system, or remote controls. But as parents, we learn that our children have free will to choose whether or not they will obey. And of course, as Proverbs teaches us in chapter 13, verse 24, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. If you love your children, you'll be prompt to discipline them. We love our children, so it's not easy for us to discipline them. Yet, doesn't our Father in heaven love us and he disciplines those whom he loves? As parents, we're given a great responsibility to nurture and guide our children. Doesn't this sound similar to our Father giving us His love in the person of the Holy Spirit? When we take the easy way out, choosing not to discipline, we're abating the character development of our children's needs. And as parents, when we stand strong, united in obedience to our Creator by discipling and disciplining our children, we avoid long-range disasters for our families. When no correction occurs, children must rely on their inner guidance for right and wrong. And if the Holy Spirit is not present, the world will become their teacher. Life for them will look markedly different than God had planned and designed for them. It's probable they will become one or many statistics in areas where they never should have ever seen or been. So what am I saying and encouraging here? Parents, I implore you, 
implore you to do the right thing for your children and your family. Discipline them when needed because you love them and God first loved you. While it's true, we're unable to automatically download our wisdom unto our children. We're able to model a spirit of excellence unto them. This may be the encouragement our children need to seek out God's wisdom for their life. We all could benefit from getting a fresh vision of the glory of God, a sense of His greatness. One man was given just that. The prophet Ezekiel was a younger contemporary of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was ministering to the people of Judah, while Ezekiel was prophesying to those who had already been exiled to Babylonia. So what did Ezekiel see? He saw that the one true God of Israel was spiritually and morally superior to members of Israel's corrupt and compromising society. Why was this vision important for the people in Ezekiel's day, and why is it important now? Well, great questions. Here's why. Because God is morally perfect, He can help us live above the line of compromise with the tendencies of the world. By you and me choosing to focus on His greatness, He will bestow power to us through the Holy Spirit to overcome sin and instead will be able to reflect on His holiness. Ezekiel and the Jews became foreigners in a strange land that was ruled by authoritarian government. Because of sin and disobedience, God allowed the nation of Judah to be destroyed. But God doesn't walk away or turn away without giving us hope. His hope came in the form of a promise. He told the people he would restore the land to those who remained faithful to him. And this was important because God never forgets those of us who are faithful in our seeking and obeying of him. As his followers, our future is as bright as the promises of God. God's ways are not our ways. This is another reason we need to have our heart turned towards God. When he needs to relay key information, strategies, or plans to us, we must be available and ready to hear from him. God speaks in whispers, that that still small voice. We won't, he won't interrupt us with a flood warning. Oftentimes we have a nudging or a knowing from the Holy Spirit about direction or even course correction if need be. This is what happened to Ezekiel. Things were going along just fine. He was in school training to be a priest in Jerusalem, and then he found himself in thousands of other young men being deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. During this time in exile, God changed the plan. He called Ezekiel to be one of his chosen prophets during Israel's darkest hour. Ezekiel's encounter with God was on par with and equally as shocking as the greatest prophet who ever lived before him 150 years earlier. Of course, I'm referring to the major prophet Isaiah. These two prophets were never the same after the hand of our Almighty God came upon them. And it's interesting that these prophets' messages were similar in nature, yet the conditions they lived in were vastly different. Isaiah warned of the coming storm. Ezekiel spoke in the midst of the great storm that was a national defeat 
devastating his people. He announced that even Jerusalem would not escape destruction. Ezekiel was married, but during this great time of trial and tribulation for Ezekiel and his countrymen, God allowed his beloved wife to die. Once again, discernment of God's still small voice was critical to Ezekiel for fulfilling his purpose and his destiny. You see, God had appointed Ezekiel to become Israel's watchman. He was just one man. This was too much responsibility for anyone, others would contend. But not so fast, as Israel's watchmen were given a first-hand look into the nature of Ezekiel's ministry. A watchman's job was historically a dangerous one. If he failed at his post, it was presumable an entire city could be destroyed. His very safety depended on the quality of his work. No pressure here, right? Wrong. The pressure was enormous, but Ezekiel was equipped and empowered for his mission and assignment. A main theme of Ezekiel's message for the people centered around personal accountability. Isn't this theme the same one we as Christians are called forth to possess? What am I referring to here? I'm saying that personal accountability translates into accountability before God. Personal obedience and worship needs to pave our steps with God. It can be challenging to wrap our minds around the fact that God in His sovereignty cares, loves, and desires to know us intimately. We're truly his beloved love child. He remembers all of the good things he built into us. When he made you, he said that was good. He has assured us our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. He remembers them no more. We must not look around at world events and allow ourselves to feel insignificant, inferior, or less than because of what we see. It's our job to be still, see the good, and steer clear of circumstantial depression. We have an obligation as children of the Most High God to remember God is ultimately in control. He is on the throne in heaven, and He is in first place on the throne of our hearts too. He wants to make Himself known to us, so we Each will experience a new purpose and calling upon our lives. We all are valuable because God is our master creator and designer. We should all desire to wear his label. Just like Ezekiel, when I share God's truths with you, he asks me what I'm going to ask you. Let all my words sink deep into your own heart first. Listen to them carefully for yourself. Then go to your people in exile and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Do this, whether they listen to you or not. Ezekiel chapter 10 verses 3 and 11. What was God asking? God's wanting us to take his word to heart before we preach it to others. God's message must sink deep into our hearts and show in our actions before we can effectively help others understand and apply the gospel. Up until this point, a case has been carved out of stone for why obedience is fundamental to good success in life. Let's examine how Ezekiel was obedient in his daily living. 
The very first recorded act of obedience occurred when Ezekiel stood and received God's message for him. Our immortal, incorruptible God addressed Ezekiel by calling him Son of Man. This wasn't slamming his own creation, but it was distinguishing the great distance between God and man. I'm always amazed that God picks finite, imperfect people to work out his divine will and plan through. Our men were made from the dust of the ground, and our women made from the rib of Adam. Yet God chooses to place within us life and breath, asking us to serve him. Then he would obey by shutting himself inside his home. He was only allowed to speak when God had a message for the people. This was how the people knew if God had a message for them. He faithfully proclaimed God's messages to the people. In another obedient act, Ezekiel would draw the city of Jerusalem in map form on a large brick. God utilized this drawing to have Ezekiel act out the coming siege and fall of Jerusalem. Each detail given to Ezekiel had specific meaning. Do you ever find yourself ignoring the smaller details of God's word? Be encouraged by Ezekiel and don't skip over or bypass the details. I've heard people say the devil is in the details. This is reminding us to want to obey God completely, even in the details. Ezekiel goes on to obey more of God's commands. He is commanded to lay on his left side for 390 days. This was illustrating Ezekiel bearing the sins of Israel, one day for each year of their sin. After that, he was told to turn over to lie on his right side for 40 days, which was representative of one day per year for Judah's sin. These unusual actions were showing the people the punishment that was forthcoming. Israel was to be punished for 390 years, and Judah's punishment was for 40 years. Ezekiel was tied up with ropes, so he was unable to move. This signified the people's imprisonment within the walls of the city. His food was rationed just like that of a city under siege from an enemy army. God also commanded that his food be kicked, cooked over human dung. But when Ezekiel objected to his defilement, the Lord compromised, allowing for cow dung to be substituted for cooking of his food. Even in following specific instructions for food preparation and cooking, Ezekiel was faithful. Ezekiel followed God's instructions to share his shave, his head and beard. This action was significant. Shaving one's head and beard symbolized mourning, humiliation, and repentance. God told Ezekiel to shave the hair excuse me, to save the hair and divide it into three parts. Part one represented what was going to happen to the people in Jerusalem. Along with verbal prophecies, God asked Ezekiel to use dramatic visual images to command the people's attention and to burn an indelible impression on their minds. We also can come up with creative ways to communicate God's message about the good news 
about God to our generation. God told Ezekiel to demonstrate exile to the people by leaving home. He was to pack whatever he could carry on his back. He was to do this during daylight hours so the people would see him. Then at night, they would watch him leave the house just as the captives do when they begin a long march to distant lands. Ezekiel spoke against false prophets. The false prophets made Ezekiel's job more challenging. They would tell lies in an attempt to make the people like them and gain popularity. And doesn't that sound like exactly what the false prophets of our day today are doing? Therefore, the people were existing within a false sense of security. Like Ezekiel, we need to beware of people who will bend the truth in a play for power or for popularity. Ezekiel sang a funeral song concerning Israel's leaders. This was another illustration to communicate his message. This showed that for Judah, there was no hope for a quick return from exile and no escape from the approaching Babylonian armies. Ezekiel prophesied against Israel in the temple. This was the first of three judgments to come. There was the sword of the Lord, the sharpened sword, and finally the sword of Nebuchadnezzar. The city would be destroyed because it was defiled. According to Jewish law, defiled objects were to be passed through fire in order to purify them. God's judgment was designed for purification. Destruction is often the result of that process. Ezekiel showed obedience to God when he mapped out two routes for Babylon's king. He was to place a signpost on the road that came out of Babylon where the road forks into two. We also see Ezekiel being obedient to God when he does not mourn his wife's death. Ezekiel was not allowed to mourn for his dead wife in order to show his fellow exiles that they were not meant to mourn publicly over Jerusalem. When it was destroyed, personal sorrow would soon be eclipsed by national sorrow over the demise of the entire city being desecrated. The individuals would waste away because of their sins, which caused the city's destruction. After looking at all of the areas Ezekiel obeyed, it's safe to say he was probably among a minority of people who were obedient to God in his day, day in and day out. Looking at a recap, listen to all the times and situations where Ezekiel obeyed that we're aware of. He stood and received God's message. He shut himself inside his house. He faithfully proclaimed God's message. He drew the city of Jerusalem on a large brick or a clay stone tablet. He laid on his left side for 390 days. He laid on his right side for 40 days. He followed specific cooking instructions. He shaved his head and his beard. He left home to demonstrate exile. He spoke against false prophets. He sang a funeral song concerning the leaders. He prophesied against Israel and the temple. He marked out two routes for Babylon's king. He did not mourn his wife's death. 
So you see, Ezekiel has taught us today that obeying God can carry a high price, but not obeying God will cost you and me so much more. I mean, think in terms of the price of eternal life. Now we have examples to show us that we should be wholehearted in our obedience to God. To begin, we can do all that commands even when we don't feel like it or it's not convenient for us. Lord, today we pray that you will quicken our spirits to have our hearts desiring to always be obedient to your word and your still small voice. Let your people hear your heart's desire for our lives. In Jesus' mighty and precious name, amen. And friends, if you don't know Jesus and have a personal relationship with him, but you want to become a child of God and you want to spend eternity in heaven, not elsewhere, not in the pit of darkness with the enemy, I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to our Lord Jesus Christ. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sin of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and you were born again spiritually. So what does that mean for you now? It means that your next step is to read God's word daily. That way he can guide and direct and reveal himself to you. And you will have a new friend in Jesus, one that will never leave you nor forsake you. And if you're compelled, get into a good Bible-based church to surround yourself with like-minded believers who will further your development in Christ Jesus. Now, let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision that you've ever made. Congratulations and God bless you. One of Priest Aaron's contributions he left for us is this benediction. As you go out into the world, allow me to pray this blessing over you. It comes straight out of the book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. And this prayer specifically is going to give you six blessings over your life. Blessing number one, may the Lord bless you. Number two, and protect you. Number three, may the Lord smile on you. Number four, and be gracious to you. Number five, may the Lord show his favor. Six, and give you his peace. Amen. So as a whole, again, that benediction says, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. Amen. And friends, the Grace and Peace of God Love Wins podcast will be available most days during the week. A special Kid Talk podcast will air on Wednesdays. So tune in along with your children for your favorite Bible stories that you grew up with. We'll be discussing and sharing Jesus's unlimited power in our present day lives. We delve into many topics such as forgiveness, 
how to be joyful, and what love and action looks like in many more topics. I invite you and your friends to come alongside me as we embark on a podcast of adventure and exploration of life together. So please join me. And if you like this podcast, make sure and like and subscribe so you'll get the latest episodes when they become available. Much of today's podcast was referencing my book, The Grace and Peace of God Love Wins. If you found the content inspiring or interesting, you can pick up a copy of the book from my website, pampastorcopywriting.com, or Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Dorrance.com. And friends, if you're unable to afford a copy, write to me. I'll find a way to get a free copy into your hands. If you know anyone who may be interested in this material, please share it with them. And until next time, be blessed. And remember Revelation chapter 22, verse 21, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all.